we have been uh, in this uh, uh, brand new, uh, not brand new because it's been, we're in this uh, last part of our series, but we are, have been in this series uh, titled The Opposite of Unspoiled, right? Uh, and that is, that has uh, been an incredible series thus far, right? Incredible, incredible series. Uh, I, I didn't mention this before, but if you're visiting us for the first time, my name is Efren Peña, and I am the campus pastor here at uh, South Hills Santa Clarita. Again, it is truly an honor to have you with us this morning. My heart's prayer is that God will uh, take you on an incredible journey over these next 30 minutes. Uh, he will inspire you and encourage you and that you leave here differently than how you came in. Amen? So we're wrapping up our series, The Opposite of Spoiled, and we've had some incredible, incredible conversations about money over the last several weeks. In week one, we talked about what our spending says about us and why we're better off uh, talking openly about it. Number two, we, uh, week two, we talked about the benefits of sorting your money into the three jars. Remember the three jars, uh, jars, which is give, save, and spend. And then last week, we, were, uh, uh, we talked about how we are unintentionally reinforcing materialism in ourselves and in our families. And lastly, today, our last talk of this series is uh, we're going to be talking about two disciplines, two disciplines that can kill entitlement, greed, and selfishness in your life and in your family, right? So two things that can kind of, kind of separate you from being greedy, from kind of wanting more and more and more. And so uh, let, me, let, me, let me ask you this. I'm going to ask if, if uh, one of the ushers can give me a bottle of water. I would greatly appreciate it. Can you remember uh, a time... Can you remember a time uh, where you went out of your way to do something for someone to, or to gift someone this, 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 this gift, right? And thank you so much. Uh, and um, they, they, they looked at it and they, were, they just griped about it. They just complained. Yeah, anyone, right? Um, and, and so instead of being grateful, they, they kind of griped about it. So annoying, Right? It's so annoying. It almost makes you want to take it back. Give me that. Give me that, right? You get this impulse to kind of explain to them how much work and effort and energy and time went into that gift, right? Or you, 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 you want to point out how other people don't have this awesomeness that you just gifted them. I don't know about you, but I've been there before. But my question is, are you sometimes guilty of doing that as well? Are you sometimes guilty of doing that as well? Listen, it's easy. It's easy to get bothered by the griping, by the complaining around us while ignoring the ungratefulness within us. It's easy to see the faults of others and not see the faults of yourself, right? So it has to be equally easy to, to see the ungratefulness or the griping and the complaining from someone else when, they, when, they, when you just gave them a gift than to see the ungratefulness that lies within you. 
I get it. uh, Griping and, and complaining is easy. But gratefulness? Gratefulness is hard. Gratefulness is hard. And nobody wants to admit that they're ungrateful. If I went around and I served and told you, raise your hand if you are ungrateful. Not one of you will raise your hand. I always say please and thank you. I'm always grateful. And it's not that, that we're always wrong about this. right? It's not that we're always wrong about this. Often it's not what you say, but the way you say it. Or it's the attitude in which you express it. We come off condescending. We come off entitled or, 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 or judgmental. And truth be told, nothing about these three or any of these three words is motivating or loving. But here's the thing. There is good and bad and, and positive and negative in everything in life. Right? You should have a critical mind. You should. You should have a critical mind. You should be able to take everything and evaluate it honestly. It's not wrong to point out when something could be better. It's not bad to acknowledge that something isn't going well. This isn't a call to put your head in the sand and pretend that everything is fine and dandy and everything is well. But the question is, what do you give the majority of your focus to? What's the primary lens that you view all of your life through? Right? How do you see the things that happen in your life? The Apostle Paul says something really interesting about this in Titus 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 15. He says, everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciences are corrupted. Now, he's not saying that everything is either pure or corrupt. What he's saying is that you're going to find what you're looking for. What you see and perceive out there is a reflection of what's in your soul. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been around someone who is a pessimist? Someone who is just sad and grumpy all of the time? A straight-up Eeyore, right? Saying things like, I don't know. If it's a good morning, which I doubt, don't worry about me. Go and enjoy yourself. I'll stay here and be miserable. That way, the way they talk about people and look at things and situations in life is all dark and gloomy, right? There's this heaviness to hanging out with them. You just want to smack them. Like, come on, man. And on the flip side, I've been around someone that, that is so positive, right, encouraging and easygoing that you felt better about yourself and about life in general after you walked away from them like a tigger, 
right? Like a tigger, like, well, I better be bouncing out right now, Cheerio. <laughs> right? I love Tigger. He's just bouncing around, right? He's just, he's just a good guy, a good person to be around. And we want those people, right? It's not that they, they say, it's not that they aren't real or, or never express disappointments or, or frustrations, but that there's this underlying thankfulness embedded inside of them. There's this hopefulness inside of them at the base of everything that they say, of everything that they do, and everything that they are. I love being around people like that. Titus 1.16 says, Such people claim that they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. They are detestable and disobedient, worthless of doing anything good. Oof. That's kind of harsh, right? Tell us how you really feel, Paul, right? But the big idea that he's getting at is this, that a lack of gratitude is a denial of the goodness of God. Hmm. I'm going to say that again because I don't think you heard me. A lack of gratitude is a denial of the goodness of God. And it takes a toll on us, church. It takes a toll on us. Researchers tell us that there's a link between practicing gratitude and experiencing lower levels of envy and depression. In other words, to enjoy your life, you, don't, you, don't, uh, you often don't need anything other than what you have. You need to learn to be appreciative of what you have. Because when we learn to be appreciative of what we have, it changes. It changes the dynamic. It changes your continence. It changes your soul. It changes the relationships with you, with God, and you and other people. But when we don't see the beauty of and truly appreciate what we have, we try to remedy Right? We try to remedy that unsettled feeling by trying to get our hands on something else, something new, something more. Which means a lack of gratitude isn't just a driver of depression, it's also a driver of debt. Because you're constantly looking to attain something more. You're constantly looking to buy something that will replace what you're feeling. And we all know plenty of people that have a lot to know that this statement is true. Who have a lot and act the way that they do. And some of these people that we know are us. Bless you. Some of these people that we know are us. So if getting more and more doesn't lead to fulfillment, what does? What does? The apostle Paul wrote this in Philippians 4, uh, uh, 6 through 7. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Verse 7. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. 
In other words, if you want to experience peace, practice thankfulness. Like how I summarize that two verses into five words. If you want to experience peace in your life, then practice thankfulness. God's love and forgiveness and uncon- uh, are unconditional, but living in his peace is dependent on us surrendering our thoughts, perspectives, and outcomes to him. Think about that. I'll say that again. God's love and forgiveness are unconditional. Right? They're unconditional. But in order for us to live in his peace, it's dependent upon us surrendering our thoughts, our perspectives, and outcomes to him. In other words, whatever happens, I'm going to give that up to God. Whatever happens, I'm going to give that up to God. I, I, I went for a job interview. I didn't get it. I'm going to give that up to God. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to believe in him. Man, I, I need more finances. I need, to get, I need more money in order to take care of this. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to believe in him. I'm, I'm, I'm going to trust that he already knows what I need, what my family needs, right? You see, it requires us to approach life from a heart of gratitude as opposed to greed. So how do we do that? Well, we practice gratitude. How do we practice gratitude? Well, let's, let's define what, what practicing gratitude is, right? Practicing gratitude is choosing to acknowledge and appreciate the good in our lives. Choosing to acknowledge and, and appreciate the good in our lives. It's recognizing that anything good is ultimately a gift. Anything good that happens in our lives Anything good that we have is a gift, and grace is the glue that holds the universe together. It's living in response to the reality that I am blessed. I am blessed and have benefited in ways that I could not earn or do not deserve. I am blessed by his grace. His grace is something that I cannot earn it. I cannot buy it. I cannot do something to achieve it. It is freely given to me by him, right? If you read, if you read through the Psalms, you'll, you'll, they're, they're, they're full of this kind of, kind of stuff, right? For instance, in Psalms 104, verse 1, verse 5, 10 and 11, 14 and 15, 18 and 24, David gives general praise and thanks to God. All of us have been in, 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 in phases where we feel like we don't have anything to be grateful for. We've all worked around at some point or another like, I don't know what to be grateful for. Right? We walk around like this weight, like it's dark and gloomy, like our life is full of, there's, there's nothing to be grateful for. And David, David is gifting you with all of these categories in that scripture. God made the earth. He provides for and takes care of all of the creatures. He causes food to grow from the earth that we can eat. He made wine. Hello. Are you wine drinkers? There are strange wonders in parts of the world that we have yet to discover. 
I was driving yesterday with my wife and we were talking with Noah about the mountains and, and how beautiful they are. If you're a city boy like me who grew up in the city where everything is flat and you come across the mountains, you're like, ooh, that is so cool. And to think that God created that, the beautiness of it. All of this stuff, anyone could can thank God for all of this is stuff that any one of us can thank God for. But then David gets a little bit personal. He gets a little bit more personal. In Psalms 104, 33 to 34, it says, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will praise my God with my last breath. May all my thoughts be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Here he's inviting God to help him Focus mostly on the goodness of God, on the goodness of himself. He's asking God, Lord, let me focus on your goodness. Help me, help me keep in perspective all of the, 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 the magnitude of, of how much you have blessed me, how much you have given me, how you have taken care of me as opposed to what stirs up frustration, anxiety, or greed in himself. He's asking God to help him see the things that he needs to see in order to be grateful and thankful. And then he, he makes a little pivot. He makes a little bit of a pivot here. And in verse 35, he says, let all sinners vanish from the face of the earth. Let the wicked dis, uh, disappear forever. Let all that I am praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Oh my He gets a little, a little more direct, a little more personal, and he starts calling out people. I don't know, maybe, maybe he had a, a specific person in mind, right, and his, his wife, a.k.a. the Holy Spirit, kind of told him, let's put sinners. Let's not put someone's name in there. Let's put sinners, right? And the point I'm trying to make is that David didn't get it right all of the time. It's not that you're not going to have frustrations, that you're not going to have complaints, right, and gripes. It's how much focus, time, attention, and energy you are going to give those things as opposed to being grateful. The other thing that the Psalms demonstrate is that they're essentially two types of gratitude. And this is where I'm getting at. Two types of gratitude. The first one is the universal gratitude, which is indirect thankfulness to God for the gift of life, for beauty, ability, and capacity. Right? That is universal. Then there is the personal gratitude. Right? Direct thankfulness to a person for something that benefited you Specifically. Specifically. Let me, let, me, let me make the distinction here. Gratitude is something more, something more than thankfulness. Thankfulness can be a thought or a feeling, but gratitude, gratitude is always an action. You see what I'm, what I'm separating the two? Thankfulness can be a thought or a feeling. Oh, I am so grateful for the sun. So grateful for my family. 
Right? Those are thoughts. Those are feelings that we have. But gratitude is always an action. True gratitude always compels us to do something. Right? To do something. Feeling thankful is not the same as practicing gratitude. It's not. The more we practice universal gratitude, the more likely we are to express personal gratitude and vice versa. The only way to kill greed is with gratitude. And the byproduct of gratitude is always generosity. It's a byproduct of it. Generosity. And if you desire to be a follower of Christ, if your desire is to be a true Christian, right, this isn't optional. Generosity is not optional. You cannot pick this or not pick this. It is part of being a believer in Christ. 1 John 3.17 tells us that God's love leads to compassion and giving. And John goes as far as saying that if if you don't, if you don't practice generosity, I'm not sure that you love God. I'm not sure that you know God. Wow. If you're not practicing generosity in your life, at whatever scale, John is saying, I don't know if you are actually following Jesus or wanting to be a believer of Christ. That's deep. And the early church took that very seriously. The early church took that very seriously. In Acts 2, 42 to 45, it says that they shared everything. They shared everything amongst themselves. That's radical generosity. In fact, what attracted people to the early Christians was their generosity, not their theology. Not the scriptures that they were reading. Because for most of them, they still couldn't understand it. What attracted them was their generosity, the love that they had for people, the understanding that God had called them to be givers, to be generous with their, uh, their, their possessions, with their lives. If you want to win people to your faith, it happens through kindness and generosity, not clever arguments. Telling your friends and family, I got the best pastor in the world. You need to come see him. He talk, he's talking good stuff. I don't mean anything. What will impact them? Are you living your life the way you're supposed to live your life? The generosity. And because of this, the early church exploded. These people were grateful to God for every good thing they had, which caused them to want to be as generous as possible to everyone around them. No one could say that this group of people were spoiled. Mm -mm. Not the early church. They lived generously. So the question is, how do we How do we get to a place where the last thing people would say about us or our children 
is that we're spoiled. How do we get to that place? Friends, I want to tell you that the more we practice generosity and gratitude, the more content and considerate we become. The more we practice generosity and gratitude, the more content and considerate we become. Let me wrap this up this morning. The more we practice generosity and gratitude, the more content and considerate we become. And it is a practice. It is a practice. Because nobody in our culture is automatically good at either of these things. We're not just born with that skill. Right? You have to make a decision to move in that direction and then work at it. Work at it. Just like anything in life. If you want to be good at something, you got to practice. You got to work at it. And all the research, research tells us that kids who give most likely come from homes with parents that they have seen give and talk about giving. You want to raise a child that is a giver, that is generous, then let them see you, mom and dad, be givers and be generous. That's the way it flows. And it's the same thing about volunteering. You want to see your children volunteer? Then you volunteer and you serve. So let me give you some practices that you, quickly give you some practices that you could put in place and cultivate gratitude and generosity in yourself and in your family. So let's start with gratitude, right, quickly. Number one, take time every day to thank God for life, beauty, ability, and capacity. Every day, every single day you wake up, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the rain that comes, the sun that shines, even the clouds that are here this day. I thank you for waking me up this morning and breathing life to this very body. I thank you for my home, my children, my mom and my dad, my brothers, my sisters, aunts and uncles, cousins, grandparents. I even thank you for the annoying neighbor down the block. Fix them, Lord, fix them. Number two, ask yourself in everything, who deserves thanks for this? Who has blessed you? Who has given you this? Who has taken care of you? Right? And then go out. Say thank you. Number three, if you feel thankful on the inside, make it obvious on the outside. Ooh, thank you. Give high fives. Give hugs. Be appreciative. Stop walking around like Eeyore. Amen? And again, if you are truly grateful, that gratitude overflows into generosity. Gratitude has to be expressed in action. And here's some quick ways, the, the best, way, best ways that I can think of that will help you do that. Give to and volunteer at the same place. Give to and volunteer at the same place. The more invested we are, the more involved we want to be. Think about that. The more invested you are, the more involved you want to be and vice versa. The more involved you are, the more invested you want to be. 
Whatever you're investing in, you will care a lot about it. Why? Because you're investing in it. Which is why I think the place that you ought to serve and give should be your church. Because that's where you want your kids and yourself to care about. You want the next generation to believe and trust God. You want your children to believe and trust God. Then show them where you are invested in. Show them what you're giving in. So that they too will be raised up in a place where they can give and be invested in. I was hoping for an amen on that one. Mm, tough crowd this morning. Just speaking truth. Speaking truth. Number two, pick a percentage of your income to give consistently and let your kids be a part of it. Part of the reason why we encourage percentage giving is everyone, because everyone practices random acts of giving. Everyone. Everyone practices random acts of giving. And you should. You should. That's great. But that doesn't make you, uh, doesn't make you generous any more than going to the gym four times a year so that you could be fit. It doesn't make you fit to go to the gym four times a year. And sure, you've never done this probably. Right? Some of you have never done this. Right? I get that. I really do. Because I, 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 get, I forget the fact that giving is tough. It's a sacrifice. It's going to cost you something. And if you've never done this, yeah. I get the, 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 the challenge that it presents to you. Which is why we created at Southfields the 90-day challenge with zero risk. Pick right? Pick a percentage, right? Give consistently and see what happens. Will it make your life better? I think so. And there are people that here that would say, yeah, absolutely. But don't take our word for it. The word of God says to test him in this, to challenge him in this and find out for yourself. And the reason you need to involve your kids is so that, that because they can't learn. They can't learn from something that they don't know is happening. They can't. You need to include them. Bless you. They need to see that, that mom and dad are givers. And they're tithing. And they're giving offerings. And lastly, talk openly about why you give to where you give. Not how much. Just why. Just why? Your kids need to see what you do, but they also need to hear why you do it. I always say here from the platform, let's not just do things for the sake of doing it. Let's understand why we do the things that we do. And let's, let's kind of share that. Why we pray, why we worship, why we take communion, why we dedicate babies, and why we do baptisms. So church, I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you to schedule repeatable rituals that require you to give and be grateful each week. Put them down on a fridge. Write them down. 
Share with your family. Say, hey, we're doing this. We're giving here. We're, we're about to, to we, want, we want to say thank you for this. Like we need to kind of schedule these things out. And, at the, and the result of doing this is what Philippians 4, 11 to 12 tells us. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Friends, gratitude and generosity produce contentment. And contentment, content people are at peace. They're at peace. If you want that sort of peace in your life, you're going to have to begin to instill these practices. Thankfulness and gratitude. One's a thought and a feeling, and one's an action. Leave here. Leave here today differently than how you came in. Amen?